You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I am Michael Halcombe and in this episode of Grammar Point, we're talking more about verbs. <laughs> I think this is uh, episode 10 or so, uh, maybe 11, I don't know, in the the uh, series, and in this particular episode, we're thinking about the perfect tense. Um, that yeah. I think that is parakimenos uh, chronos, uh, if I remember correctly. Parakimenos chronos. Right. Yeah. So the perfect tense um, has. I typically describe it. It conveys an understanding that there's something that happened that has continuing results up to and including the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person has described this as a combinative uh, aspect in that it combines imperfective, I guess, in the there's an event as a whole, but then there's something that continues up to and including the present, like the results continue. Um, I think it described it reverse last time, but uh, but anyway, that's that's the the overall I think impact of the perfect tense. It is it is a prominent tense in my view. It, it's it, it's it's uh, Stanley Porter. He's received flack from this, but I would agree with him that he he will talk about a background and then a foreground, and I think that kind of imagery of kind of a twofold background foreground. This is kind of typical for linguists, but he'll say there's also a front ground. And that the perfect tense represents a front ground. And um, I presented this to a link, a, a colleague of mine trained in linguistics, Dr. John Cook. And he was like, what? Like, that's not how we talk about it. <laughs> so it struck him as kind of you know, like, no, mm-hmm. that's out of bounds. Uh, but I, I, I like it, actually. And I, I think I could argue the case along with, with uh, Stanley Porter on that. Stan, I guess he goes by. Uh, that the perfect tense is is marked and is a little bit more in your face by presenting the the continued results uh, up in, into the present time. So when I see a perfect tense verb form, I I pay attention and I'm asking, okay, what's why is this why is this put into this tense such that it's stressing that that there's ongoing implications or impact now in the present time. Time frame. So, like, if somebody asks me, "Hey, Michael, are you hungry?" My response could be, "No, I have eaten." Yeah. The implication being, in the past, I ate. And the ongoing consequence is that my hunger is satisfied on into the present. Yeah, yeah. You'd right. say, I've, "I have eaten already." Typically, we'd say that I have eaten already. And that would indicate that's a that's a perfect tense, as opposed to the aorist, which would be uh, simple past. I, I ate. ate. Yeah, yeah, I ate already, which you could also say, but people tend to use the perfect tense in that in that set setting. Uh, so the perfect active formation is 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 found within what's called the fourth principal part, and. Greek has six principal parts for their verbs, 
And all these principal parts have to do, it's a way for grammarians to organize verbs um, in their formation where they might have potentially a stem change from one part formation to the next part formation. And so the perfect active is actually separated out as its own <laughs> principal part to be understood. And so the perfect active and the pluperfect active are formed in the fourth principal part. We'll talk about the pluperfect next time. But the perfect active formation is, uh, it, it starts with a reduplication on the front. And the reduplication is where you double the first consonant mm. and you put it forward and then you add an epsilon to it. So for the verb like blepo, it'd be be blep, uh, would be part of that root. So the, the beta epsilon uh, is 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 uh, is the reduplication that's put to the front of the verb stem. Now, if there's not a consonant to double, you just simply have an epsilon, and that gets kind of tricky because it looks yeah. like an augment. So you have reduplication, then the verb stem, and there may be a stem change because you're in a fourth principal part, and then you you typically use kappa alpha endings, ka, kas, ken, common, katakan, for the active, for the middle passive, it gets really interesting because you basically take the present middle passive endings, omai, e, etai, omatha, esta, antai, you take those and you remove the, the vowel. So the ome, I, I pronounced it wrong, ome, uh, becomes meh. That's first singular. That that ending meh, uh, alpha iota mu alpha iota is tacked right onto the end of the verb stem, mm -hmm. and so this kind of creates some interesting combination. Sometimes you have some changing of consonants because that mu is abutted to the end of the verb yeah. stem. The second singular is se sigma alpha iota, then te tav alpha iota. Then in the plural, it's metha, the, n, te. So these, these endings are really interesting. Uh, they have no vowels, no buffering or coupling vowel. They're just kind of tacked on to the stem, and that can cause some stem changes. And so probably that's why the perfect middle passive is put into its fifth principal part, because you do see some of these stem changes resulting because these consonants of the ending are added to the, the verb stem ending, and that, that starts to change the verb stem sometimes. So uh, something's, I, I yeah. Think, yeah, I was gonna say like from a linguistic standpoint, because I remember studying this when I was doing my linguistics degree, uh, one of these cross linguistic kind of things. In a lot of languages, especially like Polynesian languages, um, uh, Pacific Islander languages too, where you have uh, the perfect tense and reduplication uh, is very prominent. Like mm. in Hawaii, Hawaiian, you have a lot of that, Tongan, Samoan, lots of reduplication. And one of the things that uh, linguists have noticed with regard to tenses or terms that have reduplication, especially when we're thinking about verbs, right, um, is that 
the reduplication itself, like the physical reduplication is a mental, like a mental and visual marker for repetition and ongoingness. So, right. If you just had one, like if you just had the stem, it's just there, but the fact that it's there and then it's there again, like is a signal linguistically to the mind that this has an ongoing consequence. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. it's almost like the doubling of the sound uh, almost kind of supports the idea of yes, it's happening yes. again and again and again. Yeah. 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 So I think it's, I think there's more cognitive processing um, with it. I think it's more marked in that regard, emphasizing. Yeah. I, I see it as emphasizing the action uh, now Levinson will disagree with me, and I I, I really love uh, Stephen Levinson's work. I wish I could have met him in person. I don't know if he's still alive, but he's done so much important work. But he says that it's it's backgrounded information, uh, but it, it only occurs three times in in narratives. Well, the thing is, I think that their their meta comments standing forward to help the audience understand important points. So the first, uh, it occurs twice in Matthew within the narrative, 122. This is the first scripture fulfillment reference. So Matthew is full of, you know, this happened to fulfill. Yeah, yeah. The first one uses a perfect tense. Now this, all of this has occurred in order that the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. And then you have the scripture quotation. To me, that's the first instance that gets the ball rolling in terms of the scripture fulfillment theme. The second time it occurs in Matthew is the second to last scripture fulfillment, which occurs with Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And again, I think it's like a very prominent activity. Now, the other place that it occurs is in John 20. Uh, 31. These things have been written in order that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in order that believing you would have life in his name. So, you know, many, Jesus had many signs in the presence of the disciples not written in this book, but these things have been written to you. I would say that this is forward as very important for the audience to understand the purpose of the book. In fact, John 20, 30, and 31 is often considered the thesis statement. Uh, you know, it's a generalizing statement looking over the whole discourse. So, ergo, I think that, again, the perfect tense is a prominence uh, device, even in narrative. And while from a certain standpoint, you could say, well, these are backgrounded, I would say, actually, they're front-grounded as orienting meta-comments yeah. explaining the purpose of the discourse in terms of fulfillment and um, the purpose to, to cause belief. Yeah. Hmm. And so we, we should probably, tactic. we should probably say just in case people aren't up to speed. I mean, currently in the field of biblical studies, it's, it's, it's calmed down a little bit, but you know, in the <laughs> last five to 10 years, there's yeah. been so much debate over the perfect tense volumes yeah. and volumes and articles and articles written on this. And so, um, and verbal aspect. And yeah. I don't think I would be violating 
Craig Keener's confidence. But when I've seen him, I've seen him say more than once, he's like, boy, I still need to understand the verbal aspect. You know, so here's a world-class scholar who's just admitting yeah. it's hard to keep up with this discussion. Yeah, you know, he's writing are. commentaries and books, you know, left and right. And he's like, this is tough. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, Michael. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Fred. And thank you guys for listening. We hope that helps. Interested in growing your ancient language skills, but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glosa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glosahouse.com today. Glosa House, language resources for the global community.